This is the Made It in Music Podcast, show 106. Welcome to the podcast, where we bring you tools and resources to help you go full-time in music and to stay in. The music business is a roller coaster ride, changing faster than any of us can pay attention to. We all need a competitive edge to stay ahead and to stay successful. What's working, what isn't, and what's coming? That's exactly what this show is all about. Back again with Full Circle Music, the Made It in Music podcast. What's up, everybody? This is Seth Mosley, host of the Made It in Music podcast. And today we've got Ruel, Maggie Reed, Maggie Eckford. She's known by all of those names. Her name is actually Maggie Reed, but her artist name is Ruel. And we're going to talk about how to target your songwriting for film and TV. And let me tell you why that is important that we're hearing it from her. Because she is the number one most synced female artist in 2017, according to Billboard. Ahead of Imagine Dragons and all those other bands that you hear on commercials and uh, movie trailers and so on and so forth. Here's a clip from her song, Monsters. That's Maggie Reed, a.k.a. Ruel Monsters. Great song. But before we jump in, I just want to make the big grand announcement. The podcast competition ended last week, and the grand prize went to Shannon Griffey. Shannon, congratulations. You won our songwriting course, and I am so excited for you to start going through it. And soon, for all the rest of you, we will be opening up availability for all of you to get it. It's called the Song Chasers Songwriting Course. And our runner-up second prize goes to Brian Bolivar, all the way from Florida. Brian, congratulations. We've seen you at a lot of Academy events, so I'm excited to see all that you've been accomplishing, and you get our second prize, which is the coaching call. So I will be talking to you quite soon. So hope you have your pen and paper, or your iPhone notes at least, Be taking notes. This is how to target your songwriting for film and TV. All right. We got Maggie Reed on the Made It in Music podcast. We're here at Full Circle Music Studios. Thanks for taking the time to be here today. Thanks for having me. You are just absolutely crushing it. Uh, Ruel, pronouncing it right? (laughs) Yes, that's that's correct. correct. How many different wrong pronunciations have you got? Oh, there's so many. I think rule is the most popular, though. Rule. Rule. So not rule. That's like the Mississippi (laughs) pronunciation. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Well, I'm a huge fan of yours. You probably don't even know that, but uh, just absolutely love everything that you're doing. You've been crushing it. um, Thanks. I did not know that. (laughs) Well, it it is the truth. So um, I want to, I want to like rewind all the way back. We talked Mm -hmm. about you know, you're 26 years old, breaking into music six years ago. What was the first dollar that you ever made in your music career? Oh, gosh. I would have to go back even further, um, probably to 2010, I think. I put out my first album, which was totally independent um, through TuneCore. Some of you guys know what we that is. We know TuneCore. <laughs> and... I remember I had a band and we would play shows and we would sell these things called physical CDs. What, what um, is that? I know, right? <laughs> so 
I think that's probably my first memory of like actually making some money. We would sell CDs at shows and that was right after I put out my first project. So So what what was the band called? Um it's really sad. I didn't have a cool band name. It was just like Maggie Eckford. That was okay. my maiden name and that's what we went with. And I wasn't cool enough to think of like a solid band name. So So did yeah. you were you living in Mississippi at the time or I was actually living in Sydney, Australia at the time. So I was studying over there and um that's really when I got into songwriting and um had this little band and we would just play in random bars and random venues and all of our friends would come out and that's kind of how it all started. I never knew that. Were you, yep. were you over at Hillsong by chance? I was. Okay. I was. So that's I did awesome. Bible college for two years and then the third year that I lived there, um, I moved to the city and worked and played music and I was still involved in the church, but um, just at the city campus there. So, yeah. So being in Hillsong, I mean, like, did you sort of know like what lane you were going to be in? Did you think you were going to be like a worship artist or oh my was gosh. it like film TV stuff? <laughs> I had or? no idea at that time, which is, it's cool looking back now because I can really see how God connected all of the dots. But um, I thought maybe worship leading, I, I didn't really know. I just knew that I wanted to do music. Um, and they were one of the few Bible colleges that actually offered um, like a songwriting course. And I knew I was interested in that, but I'd never really done it before. And so that's really what kind of drew me. And I ended up choosing that as my main um, focus, really not knowing where it was going to lead me. But but yeah. Yeah. So at what point did, did this whole um, Ruel persona emerged? Oh, man. So I would have to say this was probably um, it was several years ago. Um, I was writing for Razor and Tie. Um, I was really interested in writing for film and TV. And um, to be honest, I think for a while I was really kind of trying to find my sound. So I was writing for them for probably, I would say, maybe two years. And it was I was writing for random briefs that they would give me. And and nothing was, we would get us, you know, a few small placements here and there. And then I kind of just fell into this sound that just all of a sudden it was like something clicked. It felt really natural for me. Um, it was different from anything I had done before, but I loved it and it seemed to just, it was like everything just clicked at that point. Um, was it a moment like you're in the studio or was it like a song or was it like somebody said, that's you, you should do that? I think it was both. Um, because it all, I think, you know, I think there, there were moments in the studio when when I I could feel myself just getting really excited, you know, which I think, I think before that I really, um, I think I was trying to kind of sound like maybe everyone else for a while or trying to, um, I just don't think I had fully found that sound that was really me. And so I think when that happened, that was when the whole Ruel, um, things started taking shape. And, um, it was really just kind of this cinematic, moody sound that I really think I've been drawn to since I was a kid, which is crazy to think about now. But I grew up 
being really obsessed with like Phantom of the Opera sound. I mean, my mom would play like Phantom of the Opera soundtracks and like all this. St- and I didn't realize then, but I've always been drawn to um, a more dramatic sort of cinematic sound. And so it was kind of like full circle for me. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> um, but it really, it really was like that. And I, I do think that once I've, I found that it was like instantly everything started working as well. And I don't think that's a coincidence because I really think that when you find that thing that feels the most natural for you, like that's your thing. And that's, for me, that's that's what worked as well. So was there an actual song or a moment in the studio that you remember that? Um, I Okay, I will say, um, I know you've had Sam Tenez in here, and he's a really good friend of mine, and we've worked a lot together. So I remember being in the studio with him and Matt Bronlewy, who's also a friend of mine and a really great producer. And they were kind of with me in the beginning when we were um, writing kind of the first batch of songs for for Ruel and um and I remember us being really excited especially I think one of the first songs we wrote um was called Up in Flames and it was just a really fun easy session and we were really excited about the song and that song ended up being like one of our most placed songs and it was one of the very first ones so we kind of knew like okay this feel all about everything about this feels right. So, so you said like just rewinding a little bit. You, you were signed to a publishing deal to Razor and Tie. You were mm-hmm. writing for briefs. Um, no listener left behind. What is a brief? Like some people may not even. So really know what that a is. brief would be um, like every now and then they'll send me a specific request. That's it's almost like a homework assignment um, for songwriters. It's like you know we want. We need a song that kind of sounds like this and and it needs to, the lyrics need to kind of be about loss or so put yourself in a position of like, and they would kind of describe maybe a scene or something and the feeling or the emotions that the song would need to portray, if that makes sense. And so. And then you literally just submit a piece of music. Yeah. For that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Are there ever any directions like it should sound like X, Y, or Z? Yep. Sometimes they'll even send like reference songs. Um, so there's definitely direction. A lot of times there um, there are some direction as far as like lyrics go, but for the most part, we kind of have like here's here's your parameters, and then we just kind of run with it. Yeah. So. Well, I, I think this film and TV world is something that a lot of people, at least in Nashville especially, have kind of used this like black box and you've been mm-hmm. able to break into it in a really, really big way. Um, what have, what would you say like some of the th- some of the th- characteristics are about like whatever sound that that directors look for that maybe mm-hmm. you don't hear on like a radio track or like a yeah, uh, a, a Christian record or a, a traditional pop record, right? Or things that just work for yeah. film and TV. Yeah. Um, I think what's cool about it is that there really are so many genres within film and TV that people can um, sort of experiment with, which um, I love because it's always different. Um, you don't really have to have like one particular sound, but I mean, for me, um, you know, cinematic qualities are always great. So big drums and strings. And there's always, um, I think one of the biggest things that I would say would be um, just the dynamics in the song. So there's typically a lot of builds and 
um, just lots of dynamic changes, um, which is something that they really love because they can sort of use different parts and that um, that helps a lot. And honestly, as far as lyrics go, I mean, typically you want to portray a certain emotion, but you don't want to get super, super specific. Um, so I remember starting out and I was just, you know, I would write all of, I would turn in all these songs that were totally specific, totally about like love and relationships. And I remember Razor being like, these are great, but could you try to not write a love song? <laughs> like it was just my emo self, I guess, in the beginning. And, can you and I had an, to learn. Can you give me an example of that? Like what is a specific lyric versus a vague lyric? So... For example, you know, if you wouldn't really want to talk about like, you know, a time of day or like there are just certain things that you want to stay away from. Um, or if you're talking about love, it's better to to actually leave it open where it could be a romantic love or it could be more about family or so you just want to try and keep it a little more open because it actually helps the song applied to more scenarios um, versus it being so specific that it sort of pigeonholes you, if that makes sense. It makes total sense. Um, I want to jump back to your story, but was there a moment that music enabled you to go full-time or was it kind of a process for you? Um, there was a moment. Um, so I guess maybe two years after I moved to Nashville, um, I had kind of randomly been introduced to someone at Razor and Tie who had heard my little record that I put out in 2010 that I was talking about. Um, Under Maggie Eckford. Yes, yeah. yes. And they kind of just sat me down and said, hey, we, we really like um, this record that you put out and we feel like it's really um, usable for film and TV. Would you be interested in signing a licensing deal? which at the time I didn't even know what that meant. And so I was like, can you please explain that to me? And they said, yes, basically this would just mean that we would pitch your songs um, from your record for film and TV. And so I was like, great, that sounds awesome. So we did that for about a year, but I was working full-time um, in retail, barely like paycheck to paycheck, um, I was in debt, like it was hard. And I remember, you know, they they asked me, we'd love for you to write more um, for film and TV if it's something that you're interested in. Because at that point in time, they were just pitching my already existing songs. And and was it was that working? It was. We would get like small things here and there. So I think they could probably see like, hey, this, you know, there's a little bit of, there's potential here. And so... Um, and it was definitely something I was interested in. Um, and it really just came down to, they said, okay, what would it take for you to be able to write more? And I told them, I said, I'm working full time. Like I'm, you know, I don't have a ton of time at, at this point. And so they said, well, we'd love to offer you a co-publishing deal. What amount would it take for you to be able to like pay your bills and get by so like that you can- Like to quit your job basically. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And um, so that was amazing, and we we sorted we sorted that out, and I signed with them and quit my job and kind of dove dove right in. So yeah, that's that's pretty awesome because I know for I mean two years being in Nashville is relatively short for right <laughs> how how long it takes a lot of people, but right. Um, 
in the grand scheme, I mean, you've been honing your craft in music for a lot longer than that. You were right. studying it. You were, I'm sure, working on it in Sydney. Yep. Um, spent a lot of time doing it. And there, that's a lot of, that's like, I always go back to the Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hours thing. I don't know if you've read Outliers or anything. Oh, I haven't. We talk about that a lot in, in that to become a master at anything, you need about 10,000 hours of yep. like real world practice. So yep. I would, I would wager that you probably had that even before. Oh, those, for sure. <laughs> like whether you were writing for songs sure. when you were a teenager, I, I don't know. Oh, like, I was, I was pouring my heart out. <laughs> on my keyboard in my room like every day. So it was definitely <laughs> way before I moved to Nashville. So yeah. Well, I want to jump to the Full Circle Five. What is your favorite book or record that you most commonly recommend? Okay, so I I would have to say, and shamefully, I'm not actually finished reading this book yet, <laughs> but I still recommend it to everybody. Um, it's called Art and Fear. I don't know if you've heard of it. Have not. I'm um, write that down. I think that every artist, even if you're not in music, like if you're a painter or a writer, any if you're creative in any way, which I feel like we all are, um, this book is amazing. And I'm still reading like bits and pieces of it. <laughs> it's very profound. And I'm like the type of person I just take my time with books sometimes, but it's amazing. It kind of showed me um, personally that we are really all the same in the sense that we all kind of face the same fears as creatives and artists. And it kind of showed me, okay, I'm not alone in this. And also that making art is so much more practical than we think it is. It's not reserved um, just for geniuses. It's actually, I think, um, for the people who just choose not to give up and who decide to do the work and continue to make art, whatever that looks like. And so it's amazing. So I, I highly recommend it. Art, art. You said it's art and fear? Art and fear. Art and fear. Okay. <clears throat> so uh, next question. Failure only turns into a lesson if it shifts the way that you behave or um, alters your perspective on something. Um, it's not a gift unless it transforms you. Right. So do you have a favorite failure moment? <laughs> Oh man, I have a lot. Um, I will say, okay, there was a time, one of my first writing trips to LA was like, I mean, it was such a big deal in my head. Like I remember going and being like, oh my gosh, I'm so out of my league. Like I have to bring my A game. Like I have to come back with all these hits. Like just subconsciously I think that that I just put all this pressure on myself I mean it was ridiculous and I remember getting there and my first session I walked in it was me and just me and this other guy who was a producer and like it was a total disaster like like worst session and not because there was anything I mean we just it was totally me like I was so I'd put so much pressure on myself, I think, that I literally could not even think in this session. And it was just a disaster. We 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 didn't really click and I couldn't, I was just blocked. Um and I remember it was so bad. I just I just said, I'm sorry, I I have to go. <laughs> and I literally left and just went back like to it, my right in the middle of the session. Pretty much, I was just like, I'm sorry, I don't know what's wrong with me. Like, I, I can't do this. I have to leave. 
And I'd never done that before. And I remember just feeling so defeated. And I went back to my little Airbnb and sat on the porch and just cried. And I just felt like I'm not good enough. Like, I don't know why I came here. Like, I can't do this. And my sweet husband came out and he basically brought me back down to earth and was like, what makes you think that just being in LA or being in a room with different people, like what makes you think that you have to bring something different than you've been bringing this whole time? Like Mm. just because you had one bad session does not mean that you were a bad writer. It doesn't mean that you failed. Like it doesn't, it doesn't mean that you suck. Like if anything, like what got you this far is you just doing your thing and you being you like, and so, I mean, it sounds like a silly, a silly thing, but for me, I remember it being a huge turning point and just in, cause co-writing for me was already, you know, when I started out, it was a scary thing. Like I had grown up Um, writing all of my songs in private. So it was just very much out of my comfort zone and I was shy. And so I think this moment, however, like really encouraged me that all I have to do is focus on my strengths and bring that. And it doesn't matter if I'm in Nashville or LA or who I'm in the room with, like that's all I have to do. And yeah, so that was a pivotal moment. so good. (laughs) Have you like called that writer back and been like... I should. I should be like, I'm so sorry. You probably had me on like the worst day of all time. Like, yeah, I should apologize to him. <laughs> That's good. I, I love that though. Yeah. Um, so before you dove fully in, what was the number one thing holding you back from pursuing a career in music full time? Um, definitely fear. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people say that. Um, but for me, like I said before, I mean, I was really scared of of co-writing, to be honest with you. Like, um, I had never done it before, and I, I tend to be a bit of a perfectionist. Um, and so diving into something that I'm not sure if I'm going to be good at, you know, like that was scary for me. Um, and, you know, I also had to drop out of college. I don't recommend that for everybody, but for don't me... recommend <laughs> dropping out or recommend college for everybody? Oh, dropping out of college. Okay. Like for me, that was my journey. That was what I felt like I needed to do. But um, but that was scary because I grew up in the South where, I mean, that's just what you did. Like you went to college and you got your degree and that's what you did. Um, I didn't go either. So you're... Oh, great. You're <laughs> so yeah, I mean, for me, I'm so glad that I took that risk, but it was terrifying at the time, but I knew that that's what I was supposed to do. So, so good. So what is something that's working for you right now? Um, honestly, this is very, a very recent thing, but I, I think having a morning routine is really working for me. Um, can you, can you give specifics? What, what is your morning routine? So, and I read somewhere that, um, recently that some of the most successful people in the world or most of them have morning routines. And I was like, okay, there might be something to that. Um, And so I kind of just, the beginning of this year, I thought about the things that I wanted to change. And, um, you know, up until that point, I had been waking up and I would instantly check my phone and check my email. And I feel like I kind of just immediately went into like react 
mode before I'd even had a chance to like focus and, you know, have, have a minute to breathe. And so now I, I don't look at my phone until I get up and read and have my coffee. And like, I won't check my email. I won't check anything until I have my time. And so far that little adjustment has been huge, like just in how my day goes. So, so what what is actually in that time? What, what are you replacing looking at your phone and email with? Is it like meditation or like what yeah. What all goes into that? Reading, um, meditation, I think, I mean, for me, that's, I read my Bible and um, pray and have just that time where instead of me just immediately going into, you know, reacting to everything, um, it just kind of allows me to get my head in the right place for the day. And um, it's honestly been a game changer and it's only been what, like a week or a couple weeks or something. So it's huge. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a huge believer in that. Somebody got me this book. Um, I think it was a year ago or two years ago called the miracle morning. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you, that's the one that you're talking about. I haven't. About, no, that's, that's the one. It's basically six things that, um, this guy, Hal Elrod, boiled down that all these successful people do and he just put it into a one-hour morning routine. Yeah. And yep. it's a game changer. So yep. if you're I'm watching, I would highly believer. recommend doing that. <laughs> it's a, it's I, yeah. I second you there. Um, okay, so last of the Full Circle Five. If you woke up tomorrow morning and you still possessed all the knowledge and experience that you currently have, but your business just completely disappeared and you were forced to start from scratch and you could do anything in the world, what would you do? Oh, anything in the world. Um, I guess it could still be in the music business, but yeah. your business as you know it now. Um, honestly, I mean, I would probably start over. Um, I would probably go to the beach because that's my happy place. <laughs> and I feel like that's the one place where I really kind of um, decompress and unplug and I would probably honestly just start writing again and I mean it sounds silly but I I think that if I had to start over I would go there and I would um sort of replenish some ideas and and refresh and then because I think you know you have to you have to start somewhere and and you have to bring something to the table and so I think I would just spend time kind of rebuilding that and because it really is what I love to do I mean um so I think that I would just kind of start over and I would definitely do it at the beach. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. yeah. Favorite beach? Um, well, Inlet Beach, which is kind of right by Rosemary Beach on 30A. Um, yep. That's kind of where I grew up. going there in a month and a Amazing. half. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. my one of my favorite places. So, yeah. So real quick too, before we wrap up, you, you hinted on this and I want to dive in because I know there's a lot to it, but you said one of your biggest fears was co-writing, collaboration. Like, what was behind that? I think for me, probably just fear of being vulnerable with people. Um, I think that I had gotten so used to, I mean, I just, I wrote, I wouldn't even play piano like in front of my mom growing up which is so weird. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't write unless I was like totally by myself in my room. So I think just growing up and being 
so private. I think that it was just a struggle in the beginning to be okay with being super vulnerable with, you know, mostly strangers um, in the beginning. So, so that was, that was hard, but probably one of the best things that I have done. Um, And now like collaborating is like, like my favorite thing, (laughs) you know, like I rarely, I write some by myself, but for the most part, I'm always co-writing and it has been just the best thing. Um, Just even um, just from a community standpoint for me, it's been amazing. And um, my best songs have definitely come out of collaborating. So I'm hundred percent all about it now. Do you have any advice to people who are maybe new to co-writing of, you know, how, how, uh, are there any good practices or just mindsets that you should have before going into one? Yeah. I mean, I think you definitely have to, I think for me, what helped is really, um, knowing what my strengths were and, um, and kind of, I think some of my best sessions are when, you know, if I, if I know what my strengths are, like I, I stick with that typically. And, um, if I'm a melody person, like I love to get in a room with a really good, you know, lyricist. Um, so I think knowing your strengths and sticking with that and being really open to others and like other people's ideas is a huge thing. Um, I mean, I know there were times in the beginning when I was probably a little hard-headed and thought I knew it all. And and it's definitely wise to go in with a very open mind and um, just knowing that everyone, you'll be a better writer the more that you are open to other people's ideas. So, so good. So is there anything that you're working on right now that you want to uh, share? I am working on my first full-length album. All right. Um, so that's exciting. I'm still in the writing stages of that, and um, I'm really pumped. It's definitely different for me. I typically, kind of like we talked about before, I'm, I'm kind of used to having a target or um, you know, a brief or something. And so this is the first time in a while that I've written just from a very personal place, and it's... Um, it's kind of just something I'm doing for me and I'm, I'm excited. So I love it. Yeah. So, uh, how can people interact with you? Um, social media. Oh yeah. Uh, that's a good one. Um, what's your, just Maggie Reed? Ruel, Ruel music. Um, and that's my Instagram, Facebook, everything. So yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, yeah. Man, thank you. I know you're busy. I know you're out doing some just incredible stuff. So thanks for stopping by and being on the Made It Music Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was fun. (laughs) Real quick, we're going to grab this segment at the end. Um, This is just kind of like bonus questions once I had sent you. So, um, okay. So a few questions from some of our songwriter, uh, songwriter people in our audience, I should say. Okay. Uh, number one, how do you know what to keep and what to throw away? Oh man, that's a tough one. Um, I would say, I mean, if I'm maybe a little unsure about an idea, um, I'm all about, like I'll typically step away from it. Um, so sometimes, you know, sometimes your brain just gets a little fried and you probably... <laughs> No, you're probably very familiar with that. But if you've been working on an idea all day 
And sometimes you kind of just need a breather. And for me, that really helps in figuring out, okay, is this something that I want to continue working on um, or not? And so a lot of times I'll just give it a day or a couple days and take a breather and then come back to it. And then I'll sometimes it's like, oh, I know exactly what I want to tweak and and it's, you know, here or whatever. And then other times um, I love it. I'm like, great, this is a good sign. And sometimes it's like, eh, it's not my favorite. <laughs> so, yeah. but yeah, I think stepping away from it is always good when you're maybe a little unsure as far as like, do you, do you want to keep this song or keep working on it or yeah. It's good. How do you keep from running out of ideas halfway <laughs> through a song? Um, this is another reason why I love collaborating with people because that is always really helpful um, just to have other people in the room that you can kind of bounce things off of. But also I would say again, you know, um, if you get stuck on something, a lot of times we're like, all right, let's shift gears. Let's go grab a coffee. Um, like getting stuck. I think I used to be afraid of that in the beginning and now it's like, you know, it's just part of the process. So, um, a lot of times we'll just kind of step away and get some fresh air or go to a different part in the song and then we'll kind of come back to it. So it's good. Um, any advice on overcoming self-doubt and fear when it, I'll start that one again. Any advice on overcoming self-doubt and fear when feeling like the least talented person in the room or feeling like I don't have what it takes? Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I feel like every artist goes through that. And if you don't, you're lying because <laughs> I feel like, I just feel like that's something we all deal with. And, um, and I think for me, I mean, I remember hearing, what is that quote? Um comparison is the thief of joy, right? Yeah. I would go as far as to say that it's also the thief of creativity because I just think it's really hard to be creative when you don't have joy in something. And um, I feel like the more we compare ourselves or try to sound like someone else, um, the harder it actually is to be creative and the more it just hinders us. Um, and so for me, I mean, it's definitely been a process. So I would say, I mean, I've, I've just kind of learned to know my strengths, like I said before, and be confident in those strengths and and just bring what I, just do me and bring that to the table. And that's that's really, um, I feel like some of my, my best songs have really just come out of me being myself and, and um learning how to own my strengths and own what I do. And I feel like that's easier said than done sometimes, but it's sort of a process that we all have to go through. And it's it's really about being confident in, in what it is that you bring. So, yeah. It's good advice. I love it. Hi, this is Seth Mosley, and you've been with us on the Made It in Music podcast, presented by the Full Circle Music Company with editing help from Jordan Salamone. Next episode is with Ryan Stevenson.
Super great song. Check it out. His new single, No Matter What, featuring Bart Millard. Before you do anything else, head over to madeitinmusic.com slash 106 for this week's show notes. And we will look forward to seeing you next week on the Made It In Music podcast. See you.